Open your Bibles with me once again this evening to the fifth chapter of the book of Galatians and to verses 22 and 23. Paul's letter to the churches of Galatia, chapter 5, and once again tonight we read verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So, Father, we say now with Melody Green, thank you, O my Father, for giving us your Son and leaving your Spirit till the work on earth is done. And we thank you that by the Spirit we can produce the fruit of the Spirit. So work in us tonight and in the days ahead that we more and more exhibit the fruit of the Spirit that is patience. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've told you in recent weeks about two gifts of delicious peaches that my family has received in these warm months of summer, and I mentioned to you my delight expressed in a whoop of joy at biting into one of those peaches and having its juice dribble down my chin and form a little puddle on the dining room table. That's the way peach eating is meant to be, right? But as you may know, when you come into a batch of peaches like we have recently, sometimes they're not always quite ready, or at least not all of them are quite ready to be eaten right away. Some of them may still be a little too firm. And so if you want them to be right, if you want them at their most succulent, if you want the juice dripping down your chin, you have to wait on these firm ones. You have to be patient until they fully ripen. And of course, There are many times in life with things far more important than peaches, aren't there, when we have to exercise that same quality, that same patience, that same waiting on things to be ready, waiting on things to ripen. And so isn't it splendid that we're told here in Galatians 5 that this needful quality of patience in our lives is among the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is patience. Which means, praise God, that even if you are by nature quite impatient, you don't have to remain that way if you belong to Christ and are thus indwelt by his spirit. And praise God, too, that those of you who might be more naturally patient can possess a patience that's not merely natural, but supernatural. You can possess a patience that comes from the Spirit and is able, therefore, not simply to wait, but to wait for the Lord. The fruit of the Spirit is patience. And what is patience? Well, in the third edition of the famous Greek-English lexicon by the scholars Bauer, Danker, Arndt, and Gingrich, there are two different definitions of the Greek word for patience that is used here in verse 22. Two different kinds of patience that can lie behind this word that Paul uses here. One is the kind of patience that I just described concerning waiting for peaches to ripen. 
And then there's another kind of patience as well. So then the lexicon defines the Greek word for patience first as a state of remaining tranquil while awaiting an outcome. A state of remaining tranquil while awaiting an outcome. And that's what we think about with the peaches. And then second, the lexicon defines the Greek word for patience with this possible meaning as well, a state of being able to bear up under provocation. A state of being able to bear up under provocation or patience, the entry goes on to say, toward others. So a state of being tranquil while awaiting an outcome And then also the word can mean a state of being able to bear up under provocation, patience toward others. And while the lexicon lists Galatians 5.22 and its use of the word patience under that second definition, I think it's probably safe to say that the fruit of the Spirit here in Galatians 5.22 is both. A state of remaining tranquil while awaiting an outcome, and a state of being able to bear up under provocation from other people. So, two things tonight. The fruit of the Spirit is being able to wait an outcome with tranquility. To be able to wait patiently with a good attitude for a situation, some situation in your life, like a peach, to ripen up. To be able to wait tranquilly for things to come together. To be able to wait with a good attitude for God to answer your prayer or for that person to return your phone call or whatever it may be. Waiting tranquilly on an outcome. And then the fruit of the Spirit is also bearing up under provocation. Not losing your cool with other people who do things that annoy you or who make life difficult. And, of course, sometimes those two definitions overlap, don't they? When you are annoyed, waiting for an outcome that seems to be slowed down by another person. Now you have to be patient in both ways. The fruit of the Spirit is patience. And we're going to think that out tonight, organizing our time around this two-part definition from Bauer, Danker, Art, and Gingrich. So let's think about these two kinds of patience, and we'll begin with that waiting on the peach sort of patience, will begin with patience concerning outcomes. Remaining tranquil while awaiting an outcome. We live in a culture, don't we, of instant gratification. We live in a culture that doesn't always like to wait tranquilly for outcomes. So many things in our culture, in fact, can be very quickly at our fingertips that previous generations had to wait for. Hot food, for instance. Cool indoor temperatures. Long-distance communication. And so on. Probably, I'm not in the market for buying peaches in November usually, but probably if I decided in November that I wanted to buy fresh peaches, I could find a store that would be selling them imported from some distant place. Whereas my great-grandparents, no matter how much they may have wanted peaches, would probably have had to wait until the following summer. And so while many of us are not naturally good at waiting as it is, we also live in a culture in which we don't have to wait for very many things that we want. And while I'm not saying that we should all dispense with email, for instance, and go back to communicating in longhand, with our friends on the other side of the continent or on the other side of the ocean, it is important that we learn patience. 
that we learn to wait. One reason it's important is so that we don't get ahead of ourselves, so that we don't get out over our skis, so to speak. Toby's uncle was pointing out to me last week how our instant gratification culture leads many people to unwisely borrow money for vehicles. It's typically not a very good use of money. You buy a $23,000 car, he said, but you end up paying $30,000 for it because you spread the payment out over several years and end up paying a boatload of interest with it. Why do people do that if it's not wise financially? Well, one reason, he said, is because we don't have patience these days to save up for a car. We don't have patience to buy something affordable now and save up for a nicer car later. We want the car that we like today. And we can have the car that we like today in this culture, maybe at the cost of an extra $7,000, but because of our lack of patience, because of our deficiency in this particular fruit of the Spirit. We get ahead of ourselves, and we sometimes make poor choices because we're in a hurry to have what we want and to have it now. But then we need patience, too, because while we can get the car if we really want to, most of the important things in life, or at least many of the important things in life, you can't get that quickly. Many of the most important outcomes, even in this 21st century, do not come to us instantly. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 2, to preach the word, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Preach the word, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Why? Why did Timothy need to minister God's word with great patience? I think because... The ways of human beings to whom Timothy was to preach do not usually change overnight. People don't change, even Christians don't change with one or two sermons on a particular subject or doctrine, right? Wouldn't we like to think that after hearing this one sermon tonight on patience, after spending a half an hour or more tonight thinking about patience, wouldn't we like to think that we would leave here and have it all nailed down and that we would go out from this place and live happily ever after, waiting patiently on the Lord, never getting out ahead of Him, never being impatient with other people? But it doesn't happen that way, does it? And so Timothy would have to preach patiently, and have a long-term view of life change. And it's the same for us. The change that we want to see in the lives of one another, our fellow church members, the, the change that some of you want to see in the lives of your Sunday school pupils, the change that you want to see in the lives of your children or your grandchildren, indeed the change that you want to see in your own life, does not usually happen rapidly. Sanctification is a gradual process. And so, if we are not going to give up on it, and if we are not going to grow jaded or discouraged, we must, like Timothy, be patient as we preach, as we teach, as we guide our children, as we reprove, rebuke, exhort, as we encourage fellow Christians to grow. We can speed up long-distance communication. We can speed up the heating of our food, but there is no microwave for sanctification. And so if we're going to help others in this vein, we must cultivate the Spirit's patience. 
Maybe we see an example of this sort of patience, patience with the sanctification of a brother in Christ in the way that Barnabas in Acts 15 was willing to give John Mark another opportunity at missionary labors even after Mark had deserted the missionary team the first time around. Maybe part of what was going on in Barnabas's heart there was the sort of patience that realizes that people usually mature in Christ by degrees and that therefore they shouldn't write Mark off just because he hadn't yet to be proven hadn't yet proven to be all that he should be. And we all need a good dose of that kind of patience with those around us. In fact, I would ask you tonight if there's anyone with whom you need to be more patient in this regard. We'll come back in a little while and talk about the sort of patience that is required when people provoke you. But right now I'm asking if there's anyone about whom you need to remember that their sanctification, their spiritual maturity and growth isn't going to happen overnight. There's no microwave for sanctification. And so we must cultivate the fruit of the Spirit that is patience. Who do you need to cultivate that patience toward in your life? We must also cultivate patience concerning the Lord's promises and his answers to prayer. Some of the most important things in life don't come quickly. One of them is growth in Christ, sanctification. And another is that the Lord's promises and his answers to prayer often don't spring up for us quickly as well. They don't, they're not fulfilled for us as quickly as sometimes we might think or we might hope. Sometimes the Lord shows us a promise and gives us a heart to believe it and to understand its application to ourselves and then answers it almost immediately. Sometimes he grants a specific answer to prayer within a few days or hours of our asking, but not always. Very often, for reasons wise and kind, his answers to prayer, his fulfillment of promises are a long time in coming to fruition. They do always come to fruition, right? Praise God. But very often they do so more like peaches than like Jonah's shade plant, which came up overnight. Which is why the author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 6.12 to be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. We often have to wait with patience for God's blessings. And we need to wait with faith, and we need to wait with a trust in the Lord that enables us not to complain against God and not to try like Sarai of old to take matters into our own hands, but to be patient. Now, as the context of Hebrews 6 reveals, faith and patience don't mean just laying around lazily waiting for God to act while you do little or nothing. The author of Hebrews commends diligence in that very same sentence in Hebrews 6. Diligence comes alongside patience. And so we must learn them both. And some of us may need to hear about diligence even more than about patience, but tonight we're specifically thinking about the fruit of the Spirit that is Patience, And we must heed the words of David in Psalm 37, 7. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. And we must follow the example of David in Psalm 40 when he wrote, I waited patiently for the Lord. Remembering, as Jeremiah wrote in Lamentations 3, that the Lord is good to those who wait for him. 
The Lord is good to those who wait for him. Now I want you to turn with me for a few moments to James chapter 5 and verses 7 and 8. James 5, verses 7 and 8. Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too, be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Sometimes the blessings, the answers to prayer, the fulfillment of God's promises may not come or come fully until Jesus returns and all things are made new. And so James encourages us, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Isn't that a great passage on patience? And not only because it reminds us by paralleling the coming of the Lord and the precious produce of the soil, that there will be produce, that there will be a harvest when Christ comes, that the promises and the prayers will be fulfilled when the Lord returns. But it's also a great passage on patience because a farmer is such a helpful portrait of patience, right? The farmer plows his field and he sows his seed knowing full well that the fruit is not going to spring up overnight. He knows that the ground will need the early and late rains, verse 7. And he knows, though James doesn't mention it here, that there are other factors as well that make it such that what he sows today will not be harvested for many weeks. And so he plants, and he patiently waits. And says James, you too, be patient. You too, understand that the crops that you hope for likely won't spring up overnight. God's designs for us often unfold over time. And so we must have the attitude of the farmer who sows, and who patiently waits. But be encouraged. Strengthen your hearts, says James in verse 8, for the wait won't be long. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Now, it may not seem like the Lord was very near in James's day, since James wrote these words almost 2,000 years ago, but in the grand scheme of eternity, that's not very long at all, is it? And certainly neither are the years that we must wait until the Lord returns and every promise is finally fulfilled. And so, my friends, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do you remember Abram's wife, Sarai, in Genesis 16? God had promised Abram an heir and descendants as numerous as the stars that Abraham could look up and see in the night sky. But Sarah whom I assume must have known about this promise too, Sarai uh, seems to have gotten impatient. And instead of waiting on the Lord to do things in his time and in his way, she took matters into her own hands. And she convinced Abram, and he went along with it, to have a child with her household servant. 
And it became a source of pain in their family because of this impatience. Now note well, her impatience and Abram's going along with her didn't derail God's grand purpose for Abraham and his family, a purpose that was fulfilled in Jesus. It didn't derail God's purpose, but Sarai's impatience did create serious difficulty in her and Abraham's family. And I just urge you not to be like her in this regard, not to become impatient with God, not to run ahead of him, not to take matters into your own hands, but to be patient with his timing, waiting for his blessing. There might be some area in your life, even right now, in which you've prayed about something or you've been waiting on the Lord for something, but maybe you've begun to grow impatient. Maybe you've even begun to contemplate just pushing some solution through. Beware of that. Again, I do remind you that patience is not the same thing as laziness. So I'm not encouraging you to just do nothing in life until God drops some solution out of the sky. But there are areas in which we are sometimes tempted to run ahead of God, in which our actions are not motivated by faith and diligence, but by impatience over the fact that God doesn't seem to be providing the solution that we're hoping for. Hopefully we can search our hearts and tell the difference between the two, so as not to become paralyzed on the one hand, but also not to jump the gun on the other. Just think how long God's faithful people of old waited before their Messiah came and walked among them. But in God's good timing, he did come and walk among them, didn't he? When the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his Son. In God's good timing, Jesus came. The prophecies, the promises were fulfilled, just like the word of God said. And in God's good timing, every last one of his promises, all of which are yes in Jesus, will come to fruition too. Therefore, in the words of David, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. So that's the first part of this definition from Bauer, Danker, Arndt, and Gingrich on this Greek word for patience that Paul uses in Galatians 5.22, a state of remaining tranquil while awaiting an outcome. And so our first heading has been patience concerning outcomes. But then we need to remember the second part of that definition from the lexicon of those four scholars, namely that the Greek word for patience also connotes a state of being able to bear up under provocation. Patience, the entry goes on to say, toward others. So our second heading is patience with people. Patience concerning outcomes in the first place and now patience with people. Let me point out a couple of the passages in which the creators of that lexicon cite this use of the word patience. So turn with me first of all to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4 where we'll see patience spoken of in verse 2. And where we'll begin reading in verse 1 so as to start at the beginning of the sentence. Ephesians 4, 1 and 2. Paul writes, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. 
Now, it's because of that parallel phrase showing tolerance for one another that the creators of the lexicon classify this instance of patience as one of those times when the patience that is in view has to do with bearing up under provocation. We can understand what Paul means by patience, the lexicon points out, by noticing how he connects patience with tolerance. Patience and tolerance, in other words, are similar things here in Ephesians 4.2. So we might be tempted to be intolerant with certain people in the church, but rather we must be tolerant and patient with them. We must bear up, as the definition goes, even when they provoke us. So this is not necessarily the patience that awaits an outcome, although that kind of patience is sometimes needed too when people provoke us. Sometimes they overlap. But this here is particularly the kind of patience that can just be calm and kind even when other people differ from us or get on our nerves. And the lexicographers, Bauer, Danker, Arndt, and Gingrich point out another parallel, a similar parallel like the one here in verse 2 over in Colossians 3.12 a parallel between gentleness and patience. So turn there with me now, Colossians 3, verse 12. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now that coupling of gentleness and patience shows us, the lexicon points out, what sort of patience Paul has in mind. Patience that is parallel with gentleness. Patience, remember the definition, toward people who provoke us. People, verse 12, in other words, with whom we might be tempted to be less than gentle. People, according to verse 13, whom we must forgive and bear with. And I wonder with whom in your life you need to show such patience and show it perhaps more faithfully. Your wife, your husband, your children, your parents, your co-workers, your fellow church members, some person on the other end of the phone line whom you've had to call multiple times or call one of their associates multiple different times to try and get some financial things straightened out. Paul is writing in both Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3 specifically about patience with other church members, but it applies to other people as well, I think. We must demonstrate, we must be people of patience with others. Now, borrowing again from that lexicon, the creators of it show us some instances in which God is said to have this same kind of forbearing patience. The same patience in the face of provocation that Paul recommends to us in Ephesians and Colossians, they point out, is patience that is attributed to God as well. Forbearing patience in God. He forbears in patience with those who aren't going to believe. Romans 9 and 1 Peter 3. He forbears in patience with people so that they might come to him in repentance. Romans 2. 
He forbore in patience with Paul, the apostle. 1 Timothy 1. God shows the forbearing patience that we are commanded to show. And in that connection, if you have Colossians 3 still open before you, notice something there. Notice we're going to step away from patience for a moment and think about forgiveness and then come back around to God and his forbearing patience that we just talked about in those passages, uh, Romans 9, Romans 2, 1 Peter 3, 1 Timothy 1. We'll come back to God's forbearing patience in a moment. But in Colossians 3, I want you to notice a paradigm for forgiveness that Paul gives at the end of verse 13. So begin again in verse 12, and we'll read through the end of verse 13. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, and here's the key, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Should you forgive others, in other words. It is God's forgiveness of us in Christ that is our paradigm for forgiving others. And I believe that it is God's forgiveness of us in Christ here that is probably meant not only as a paradigm for our forgiving of others, but a motive for it as well. And I think surely the same logic applies to the whole list of virtues in verses 12 and 13. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, forbearance, forgiveness, and yes, patience. Why should we show patience and all these other things toward one another? Because Christ, God in Christ, has been so patient, gentle, forgiving, and so on toward us. And how should we be patient, forbearing, compassionate, and so on toward one another? In the same way the Lord has acted in these ways toward us. And so you bring this together, this idea that the Lord's forgiveness and probably these other virtues as well motivates ours, and then you notice from those passages that the lexicon pointed out that God demonstrates forbearing patience. God demonstrates patience, bearing up when he is provoked. And you bring those together and the conclusion is that it is the patience of God toward us in Christ that motivates and that examples our patience toward one another. After all, we are the sorts of people You are the sort of person, and I am the sort of person with whom God, in order to be our father and friend, must continually bear up under provocation, as the definition of patience goes. And he does do that. He was patient with us before we believed, in order to bring us to repentance, Romans 2.4. And he continues... Though even as Christians we sin and sin and sin, he continues to be patient with us, to bear up with our provocations. He continues to leave our sins under the blood of his dear son. He continues to show us kindness in spite of ourselves. He continues to be patient 
with us and to bear up under our provocations. And oh, how patient, therefore, we should be with one another in light of how God is patient with us. And we can be patient with one another and with all sorts of other people by the Spirit's power. The fruit of the Spirit is patience. Some of us may be more naturally bent in this way than others, but even those of us who are naturally impatient can be patient by the power of the Holy Spirit. And those of you who are naturally patient can go to a whole new level of spiritual patience, patience with people because of how God has been patient with you, patience with people that is not just natural to you, but that is worked in you by the Spirit of God. We can be patient by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we must be. The fruit of the Spirit is patience.